Mark 2, 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Good evening, friends. I am Jack, and it is a joy to be with you tonight as we come to God's Word. Many moons ago, when I was in high school, I was friends with a pirate. And after that bombshell of an intro, I'm immediately going to let you down. I don't mean, you know, yo-ho-ho, wooden leg pirate. I mean, he was a real big-time software pirate. Devastating, I know. Real disappointing story. Anyway, this friend, let's call him Dave. It's not his real name. We'll protect his identity from any, I don't know federal, commonwealth kind of investigation or something who might be listening in. Dave would come to school each day telling us about the latest video game he'd downloaded the night before, the latest movie he'd watched. He was constantly just, the fastest he could get his gigabytes down into his computer, he was just getting every piece of content out there illegally onto his stuff. And every time that Dave told me about something like this, it really irked me. I really, my my hackles really were straight up. It, It made me angry hearing him say these things because all these things he did were wrong. He was stealing, he was taking these things without paying, it was, it was all the wrong thing to do. If I'm honest, looking back, probably part of that was a little bit of jealousy at all this sweet content he was getting to consume all the time. But at the time, I, I felt this real sense of in indignation. Part of it was that my friend Dave, he said that he was a Christian. And I myself at that point had just very recently been converted. I'd come to the Lord not that long ago. I was a hot-headed firebrand of a young believer, and I knew this, this isn't right. Christians shouldn't do the wrong thing. This is, this is madness. And so I let my friend Dave know one day about my intense displeasure at his wayward piracy, and the only way I knew how, I sent him a very strongly worded email, all caps everywhere and everything. <laughs> if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't do this. This is wrong. You'll be shocked to know that that whole thing did not go very well. My friend was offended, we were still friends, but never as close again. I don't really know what his interest in Jesus was at that point, and that's part of the problem, isn't it? I didn't even stop to ask. But as far as I know, sadly, he he shows no interest at all in the things of God today. I tell this story with this mixture of both godly grief and shame at what I've done wrong in the past, and also, to be honest, just a bit of cringe at my teenage self from 20 years ago, about a lot of growing up to do. But as I look back, knowing that I was in the wrong in that moment, it's worth asking what exactly was wrong about what I did there. It's not that I was wrong about the matter itself, right? Yes, piracy is breaking the law. It's wrong. It's something that God's people should not do and should repent and should fight. So is the problem just that I went about it all the wrong way? Well, that's certainly true. 
a self-righteous email is never going to be the way to go. I can just recommend that to you now, a little pro tip. But more than just going about the wrong way, as I look back on that, that event, I know that I was missing a bigger picture. I was there in this moment acting as if Christianity, at the end of the day, is about nothing more than making sure that other people know they are not keeping God's laws. The reason I tell you this is because it shows up something that I think still lives in my heart today, probably in more subtle ways, however much I think I might have grown up since then. And it's something that may well live in your heart too. What we see in the gospel tonight is that if you think being one of Jesus' people is primarily about having some rules and making sure you keep them and using them as a rod to beat other people too, if you think that, then you are utterly out of step with Jesus. And that's not because God's law is not important. It is. But Jesus tonight has something profound to teach us about what his law is for and about how there's something even more important than the law, or rather someone more important. We're picking up this series in Mark, which we left off a few months ago at the end of last year. Just quickly by way of recap, in these first two chapters of Mark, we've seen Jesus arrive in the world and begin proclaiming his message that the time is at hand, the kingdom of God has drawn near. We've seen Jesus show his authority in the world as he heals a paralyzed man, as he casts out demons. We've seen Jesus spending time with sinners who no one else wanted to have anything to do with. And all of this is provoking conflict with the leaders of the religious establishment, with the Pharisees. And that conflict continues in our passage tonight. It's a quick passage, and really we're going to see these three quick points. First, we'll see the problem, the presenting issue for the Pharisees, which is that Jesus doesn't seem to respect the Sabbath. From the presenting problem to the precedent, which Jesus points to in his defense. And thirdly, the pronouncement Jesus makes about what the Sabbath is really for. And then we'll tease out some implications as we come to the end. But first, let's get into this presenting problem. The Pharisees criticized Jesus for not respecting the law of the Sabbath. And it'd be great to follow along with me. You can find it there in the Bible. We're going to be doing a bit of flicking as well, so it would be good to have one of those red Bibles in your hands. But Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Here's the presenting issue. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. So they're going along, the disciples presumably are hungry, they're grabbing something to munch on as they walk, and the Pharisees get wind of this, and they have a massive issue with it. You can can feel the all caps of their email as it comes out. Jesus, teacher of your disciples, you're responsible for what they do. So they call out to Jesus, verse 24, the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Your disciples are breaking the law, this is wrong. These Pharisees are concerned to see that God's people keep the law which God has given them in their scriptures in the Old Testament. And so we want to ask, what is it that is wrong here? What is the the problem with what the disciples are doing? I mean, they're grabbing grain from a field. Is it the issue that they are stealing? Well, no. God's law made provision for this kind of thing. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, you can read, If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands. You must not put a sickle to their standing grain. So God made this provision for his people that if you're walking through the field, you're allowed to grab a handful here and there. You're not allowed to you know, plow the combine far harvester through your neighbor's field. But if you're just having a snack, that's something that was, was good for neighbors to allow each other to do. So that's okay. 
What the disciples are doing is legit in itself, so the problem is not what they're doing, the problem is when they are doing it. Because this is happening on the Sabbath. On Saturday, the last day of the Jewish week, the day of rest. And to really get a handle on why is it such a big deal to be grabbing a few kernels of grain, we really need to understand a bit of the background here. It's a little slight excursion, but it's it's important. If we're going to get why this is such a problem for the Pharisees and therefore understand what Jesus' response is meant to teach us, we need to understand a bit more about the Sabbath. The story of the Sabbath begins right back at the start of the Bible and right back at the start of creation. In the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, God creates the world in six days and then on the seventh day, God rested. And Genesis 2 verse 3 tells us that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he he ceased working. He finished his work of creation. So God finishes creating and he rests on the seventh day. That, in the course of time, will become the basis for the command that God gives to his people. If you know the Ten Commandments or have heard them, you'll know that one of those, commandment number four says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. God gives his people Positively, this day that's dedicated to the Lord, they're meant to keep it separate and good, it's, it's holy, it's a, a special, sacred thing. And negatively, it's the day to stop, the day not to work. And in the Old Testament law, this command is taken really, really seriously. Multiple times, Moses says, anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. And that sounds shocking to our ears today, it, it feels so unfamiliar that would be such a big deal, perhaps especially given that in our day and age, some employers seem to have the opposite command in mind. If you don't work on Saturday, we will put you to death. Seriously, though, I mean, this this command was given as a, a command from God, and God is not one to be trifled with. Flagrant disobedience of his law is extremely serious. He won't tolerate it. You can understand, then, why this is something that the Pharisees took really seriously in Jesus' day. They were meant to. This was a serious command. But the big challenge with the command all through the history of God's people was, what does this very general command actually mean in practice? Don't work on the Sabbath. Okay, well, what do you mean by work? The command itself doesn't say that much. It seems to assume that work is basically the thing that you toil at six days a week to make a living. If you're a farmer, then planting, reaping, harvesting, watering, all that stuff do six days a week, and then don't do that stuff on the seventh day. But there are a few specific verses in the Old Testament which name specific actions. So Numbers 15 says, don't gather wood for a fire. Exodus 35 says, don't light a fire on the Sabbath. Jeremiah 17 says, don't carry a load of goods out of your house to go and sell at the market. But aside from those things, there's not a lot of detail. By the time you get to Jesus' days, People who took this command seriously had really worked hard at working out what are the do's and don'ts for the Sabbath. So in fact, the Pharisees were part of this group of Jewish people who would eventually write this list of 39 specific prohibitions that you weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to do sewing, tearing, writing, erasing, building, 39 of these things, this big list of things that were banned. And when you hear that, it's easy to kind of caricature, you know, the Pharisees, they're just sticklers for a rule, they love a big list of do's and don'ts. It's important to say that they did also see the the Sabbath as a time of delight. They wrote poems dedicated to the joy of the Sabbath. They, They had this other side to them. But it's still true that they cared deeply about keeping the rule. 
And one of the activities on that list of 39 things was harvesting. So back in Mark 2, the Pharisees are accusing the disciples of this particular point. Grabbing a handful of grain, that's, that's reaping, that's harvesting. Such a thing ought not to be done. And this was a point where they could actually appeal to the Bible as well. Because Exodus 34 says, On six days you may labor, but on the seventh day you must rest. Even at the time of plowing and of harvest, you are to rest. Harvesting is explicitly called out. So the Pharisees say, Checkmate, Jesus, what is going on? Explain yourself. There's our presenting problem. Now, how does Jesus respond? First, it's worth noting what he doesn't say. Because Jesus doesn't respond by saying, well, the Sabbath doesn't matter, you guys and your rules, it, you know, just live and let live, it's not important. No, this is a command from God. Of course it matters. And Jesus observed the Sabbath, the rest of the gospel we see him again and again. He's in the synagogue on the Sabbath with God's people doing what they all do. The Sabbath, Jesus is not anti-Sabbath. And Jesus doesn't respond by saying, you Pharisees have actually got it wrong, as if, all you need to say is, well, the Pharisees, you guys are misinterpreting the verses. You got the, 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 the interpretive questions wrong. Picking grain is actually fine. You just misread the Bible. No, Jesus seems to concede the point that technically what the Pharisees, sorry, what the disciples are doing does go against the letter of the law. So what Jesus actually says is, to be honest, as I read this passage, the more I read it, the more surprising and perplexing I find it. Because Jesus' first response is to point to this precedent. He points back to this example of King David. Verse 25, Jesus answers, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Have you never read? Maybe you have never read what David did in 1 Samuel chapter 21, which is okay. That, that's you. That's fine. The Pharisees, they were experts in the Old Testament. They should have read this, but maybe you haven't got to the story yet, which is fine. We're going to have a read of it now. So grab one of your Bibles and flick over to 1 Samuel chapter 21, which is on page 293 in our Red Bibles, 293. And it's worth having a look at what this story says, because if Jesus sort of assumes that we're familiar with it, so if we're not... It's worth having a look, and it's a short one. The context is David has just started running away from Saul. This is David who will one day be the great king of Israel. For now he's been anointed as the king, but Saul, who is on the throne, is trying to kill him. So David flees, and then 1 Samuel 21 verse 1, David went to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered to him like the priest. The king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now it's worth saying, just because we haven't read the context, there is no such mission. David is desperate and fleeing and basically lies through his teeth at this point out of desperation. Verse 3. Now then, what have you to hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread to hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual, whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? 
So the priest gave him the consecrated bread. Since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. So this bread of the presence is something that the Old Testament law also sets out. It was a special offering presented to God in the, in the shrine, in the, in the temple. Leviticus 24 describes how it's the priests who are painstakingly meant to bake the bread and then to present the bread and then to take it away and then to eat it. Case closed, no room for a king, let alone a wannabe fugitive. And yet, how does Jesus summarize the story? You can flick back over to Mark chapter 2 now. Jesus says, David went into the shrine, ate the bread, which was only lawful for the priests to eat, even though he's not a priest. And Jesus says, this is why my disciples don't eat, sorry, why they pick grain on the Sabbath. Jesus seems to be saying, you Pharisees accuse my disciples of doing something unlawful, but haven't you read how David technically did something unlawful when he was in this urgent life-or-death situation when his men were hungry? If you're anything like me, there's something unsettling about this response that Jesus gives. Is he saying that, well, David's the anointed one, he's going to be the king, and the king is above the law. The king can do whatever he wants, and I'm the Messiah too, so I can do whatever I want. That doesn't seem to be the case. It'd be a pretty fast track to tyranny if Jesus is saying the king has absolutely no recourse to the law. That doesn't really bear out the story later on either. When David eventually goes on to commit adultery and murder, God rebukes him severely. He doesn't let David get away with breaking the law there. The point seems to be that what David did in that temple was technically unlawful, but in that context that he was in, it was entirely justifiable. The priest, the Himalek, he has no problem with David taking the bread in his hour of need. God doesn't rebuke him. The narrator of that story doesn't say David did the wrong thing. And Jesus seems to be saying that David did not walk away from that encounter as a lawbreaker, even though what he did was technically against the letter of the command. What Jesus seems to be saying is that this whole story shows that the Pharisees had a problem in how they thought about the law. The Pharisee's approach, the Pharisee approach was narrow. It was going against the command is always wrong, full stop. That's the end of the story. But to take that, that approach seems to be even stricter than God's own word is in applying the law to David. Jesus is saying that there's more to the law than just rules for rules' sake. If you think it's only about the letter of the command, there is a bigger picture that you have missed. And to understand what that bigger picture is, We need to move into the last part of this text. So let's see the second part of Jesus' response. This is his pronouncement. This is what he's saying in the Sabbath is really all about. The bigger picture of what this law is for. Verse 27. And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus says, if you think the Sabbath is this kind of straitjacket that people have been stuffed into as a a, a burden, something that's meant to be difficult, that's going to be painful, a rod to beat them with, then you've missed the reason that God actually gave the Sabbath command. Jesus says, no, it's the other way around. It's it's that the Sabbath was made for human beings. And another passage that's really helpful to to see what Jesus means here is Deuteronomy chapter 5. You don't have to flick to this one if you don't want to. I'll, I'll read it. It's just a single verse. This is perhaps the lesser-known second version of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, God says, Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, because on the the seventh day God rested. 
Deuteronomy 5 gives you a different reason to observe the Sabbath. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. See, the point of the Sabbath command in ancient Israel wasn't just, you should have a rest. It was, hey, you need to let your servants, your children, your animals, the the people who you employ, they need a rest too. The Sabbath was this, this kind of social security blanket, if you like, for employers who maybe otherwise would have just ground their employees into the dust. The Sabbath says, no, everyone needs a rest. What that means is that God gave the Sabbath to his people for their good. It's something that's meant to contribute to, to human flourishing. It's not meant to be a burden that, that, is, that is oppressive. The Sabbath was made for man, not the other, way around, the other way around. If you think that God gives these rules as just this arbitrary set of laws to, to cramp human style, you need to hear that God has given this rule for the sake of joy and delight and rest. The Sabbath's made for man, not the way around. And then Jesus goes on. The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. At the end of the day, Jesus says that he is the one who has the right to tell you what this command is and what it means. And this is, this is an astonishing thing to say. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. What does it mean to be the Lord over something? You might think for a moment of the Dark Lord Sauron, the Lord of the Rings. Probably not every day you hear Sauron compared to Jesus. And just say every analogy breaks down at some point, so happy to say that you know, there's not an exact comparison here. But go with it as far as it goes. The Lord of the Rings. Sauron is the one who made the rings. He's the one who rules the world through the power of his rings. Jesus is saying that kind of thing here. He's the one who, who made the Sabbath command. He gave it in the first place. He's the one who rules the world through the Sabbath command in that he brings his goodness and his joy and delight and rest All of that is meant to come to the world through this command that Jesus is the one who one day long ago gave. Jesus gave the command. He tells you when it applies. He tells you ultimately what it is all about. And if the strict rules about the priestly bread were set aside even in David's case, how much more can the Sabbath laws be set aside by Jesus, the great godly Messiah, the king who sits on David's throne forever, the one who tells you what this law means. He is the Lord who makes the rules. Not the Pharisees with their rule code. Jesus is the Lord, even of the Sabbath. As we try and draw this all together and think, what is this saying to us? The big thing that I think we are meant to walk away from this passage with is as we started out, God's law is never meant to be this set of oppressive chains. And if you think the commands of God are there for you to subject people and constrain them and send strongly worded emails, then you have missed the point. In the case of the Sabbath, God gave this law for the good of people. He sent the Lord Jesus, who has all authority, to tell us what it means so that we can know what it's really about. So we need to beware our own tendency to use religious rules as a burden, to bind the consciences of others 
the Pharisees were at risk of taking this good gift and making it a burden so that so people, instead of wondering, how am I going to enjoy God and delight in his rest today? You're wondering, man, how am I going to get through everything? How am I going to feed my children without accidentally lifting something up or lighting a fire? In the same way, beware our rules and conventions for what good people do and how they might oppress people. Because if you see people doing the wrong thing, caught up in the the moral downward spiral of society around us in the 21st century, and you are more disgusted and offended than you are moved to compassion for people who are lost and desperate like sheep without a shepherd. If you're more disgusted than you are compassionate, then you have a heart problem, as I once did and probably still do to some degree. For some of us, maybe it's the, the getting the, the laws out of proportion. The, the greater principle of David when he's on the run and he's, he's hungry and his men are in trouble, to use the law as a crushing burden to deny people the goodness they need. Sometimes we get the, the priorities wrong in the laws that we think matter. If you think that legislating on the style of music that we should have in church or the clothing that's appropriate or which is the approved Bible version or what our places on the, the church hierarchy or in, indeed on Sunday whether shops should be open or shut and applying kind of new Sabbath prejudice. If you care about those things more than you care about prayer and sharing Jesus with the lost and listening to a Christian brother in distress or need then you have a heart problem. As we come away from this passage we need to hear that The laws are not a crushing burden. They're for human good. And Jesus is the one who's come to tell us what they're all about. The last thing to note is, as we think about the Sabbath, what are we as Christians meant to make of that? Because Jesus, like I said, never says the Sabbath doesn't matter. This law of God isn't something that Jesus just dismisses as insignificant. But it's curious as you go on in the Bible that after Jesus ascends into heaven... Sabbath is mentioned just so little, again, in the rest of the New Testament. And in fact, when it is mentioned, the point seems to be, don't judge other people about whether they observe it or not. So in Colossians chapter 2, we're told, don't let anyone judge you by these external matters of the law, like whether you eat or drink or whether you keep the Sabbath. Romans 14 says, one person might esteem one day as more sacred than the others, whereas one esteems all days alike, and the important thing is to be convinced in your own mind. See, Jesus tells us the Sabbath is important, but it doesn't seem that the way that he makes it important for us is by telling us to keep observing Saturday as the Israelite day of rest. The way that Jesus seems to tell us that the Sabbath is important is that he is the one who has come to bring the rest that the Sabbath was always about. Last Bible for tonight is to flick over to Hebrews chapter nine. Sorry, Hebrews chapter four and verse nine, on page one thousand two hundred and three, one two o three. Hebrews chapter 4 is speaking of the the promise of rest that God has made and that that still we wait to enter. Hebrews 4 verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. 
Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And here, entering the rest is not about downing tools on Saturday for a day. It's about not hardening our hearts to the voice of the Lord as Israel did in the wilderness. Jesus has come to bring this lasting rest. And one day when he comes again, this rest will never end. What we look forward to is not work and burden forever, but a rest that is unceasing. And as we in our age today as Christians go about our business, downing tools for the Sabbath is not something that we are called to do as as something that's bound upon our consciences as a law. It's still something that's part of God's wisdom for our world. It's still part of his design of creation. And in many cases, we would be fools to ignore that God has built into our world a rhythm of six and one. For I myself, I'd still try to take a solid day off and leave work aside for one day out of seven. At the moment, it's Fridays because I'm a postgraduate student and no one ever tells me what to do at any point, so I get to decide what day it is. And for me, it's still possible to see that day of rest as a burden. And I still sometimes find myself waking up on Friday morning and thinking, oh, like I have so much to do. I've still got to get that thing into my supervisor and I've got this other lesson I'm working on and, and this, this crushing, res- resenting that I have to stop for a day. It's easy to see the day of rest, even as the Pharisees saw the Sabbath. And if you are given like me to think that rest is something to resent, then maybe that is the takeaway from tonight. As Jesus said, man not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. Rest is God's gift to us. It tells us that we don't have to do everything that we possibly could, that we're never going to get through the list. That's good. You are finite, so am I. We have to accept that. Rest teaches us to do that. Rest helps us remember that the things that we want to do in the kingdoms we are trying to build at the end of the day are maybe not as important as we think they are. In all these ways, rest is something that our culture just doesn't know how to do. And something that as people who trust in a God who's Lord of all, we can embrace with joy and delight. So don't let God's law be a burden to you. Remember, he is the one who has done it for our good, for our joy, for our delight in him. And he has come to bring the rest that will never end when Jesus comes again. Let's pray.